The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, weekend Premier League fixtures in doubt. Fans react with dismay to prospect of cancellations and an early return for the Intertotally Cup. Meantime, midweek action that did happen. Man City introduced Leeds to a horror show called Seven, which appropriately ended with a header in the box. And Arsenal go forth and etc. Plus, call off the Sergio. We salute Kun Aguero on his farewell from football and get a half-term report on the WSL. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listener, Thursday the 16th of December, as I'm joined here on Totally by Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hi, Flo. Hello, hello. Hello. Also with us, Adam Crafton. Hello. Good morning to you, Adam. And Daniel Story, who's subbed in for Duncan Alexander, who's gone viral. <laughs> yeah, pressure. Pressure on me. Well, thank you so much for, for being with us, Daniel. I, I hope you brought quirky stats framing <laughs> the football in relation to time since the birth of the Xbox and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, mm. Duncan, very much a man for that. Me, very much not, I think. Well... You bring your own unique take on the midweek action, such as it was. Uh, obviously, we've already seen, I think, three games postponed uh, in the last few days. Possibility that Thursday night's action might be affected as well. And of course, who knows what's going to happen uh, this weekend. This Thursday morning, uh, Thomas Frank's press conference at uh, at Brentford, in the course of which he kind of learnt live that Brentford had 13 positives, felt a little bit like this season's Arteta positive test moment uh, wh- where are we on a scale Adam of kind of one to footballers having to do their own haircuts where- whereabouts are we <laughs> yeah uh, I was thinking yesterday remembering the sort of the random news segments that you would get in different sort of hotspots of Covid whether it's yeah footballers doing their own haircuts or footballers being told not to celebrate goals together was also a good one mm. Jack Grealish were... Instagram apologies no yeah. no handshaking people got obsessed with the no yeah. handshaking thing no handshaking they? would footballers have to wear masks um, during during actually the games themselves because they can't be spitting at any point um, because that's impossible during Covid so yeah I don't think we're back to that stage yet I think what we are at is you know as a country the the case rate is um, is as high as it's been at any point, isn't it? The number of cases on Wednesday was the highest at any point in the pandemic. Um, and what footballers are doing is testing on a daily basis in the Premier League. So it, it does follow, therefore, that you know if that case rate is so high across the country and here is a group of people in a profession testing every single day, then that's inevitably going to bring the competition to its knees to a certain extent. Um I'm wary of sounding a bit like more tests mean more case more cases when I'm saying that, but I think that's what's happening to a certain extent. And at the moment, clubs are finding it really difficult because they're following these really stringent protocols. But by doing so, they are limiting, you know, either the amount of players they can play or whether the games can be played at all. Mm. Although by doing so, hopefully they're safeguarding absolutely th- their squad's ability. I mean, beyond the kind of health implications, their squad's abilities are actually. Uh, continue and not be overrun by this how how much this weekend do you expect to go ahead how how close do you think we are to having a circuit breaker i don't know i i i'd still be amazed if we haven't 
an actual circuit breaker. I think the, the gist from the Premier League is, you know, they want these games to go ahead and we'll do absolutely everything possible. So it might be we just end up with three or four games this weekend and then five or six games on Boxing Day and then three or four games. But the problem is you don't even need every team to be affected. You only need half the teams to be affected for, mm. for a game week um, not not to go on. And I think as well, you know, they've set a couple of precedents, haven't they? With you know, We're still not fully sure with regards to the Brentford-Man United game, you know, how many positives amongst the playing staff and coaching staff does it take for a game to be postponed you then have Leicester against Tottenham which is happening on Thursday night as things stand but Brendan Rodgers is really unhappy about this and made very clear in his press conference thing on Wednesday you know he gave the impression you know we're only doing this for the TV companies well kind of yes because it's the TV companies that pay your wages and pay for the transfer fees and all this kind of thing and the problem the Premier League have now is this part of the season is so important financially for the television companies in that it's a real touch point in the season in terms of as a paper as a pay-per-view broadcaster in terms of driving new subscriptions and also for advertising during this period is so big also because you know there isn't that much other sport that goes on across the world during this period of the season. It's one of the real unique selling points of the season for the Premier League. So their concern is if we well, if we have this circuit breaker at the most popular points in the season, then we might have to end up giving money back to the broadcasts again. And of course, people will come back and say, look, there's a public health crisis, mm. absolutely necessary. But on the other hand, the government does not appear to be giving aid to businesses that are being affected by any hints at restrictions that are coming in. So the Premier League, much like hospitality, is looking at this and saying, well, we, we need to protect our our clubs, and whether that's the Premier League or EFL or National League. And it's those same, it feels a little bit like we're having the same discussions as we were having 18 months ago, where the government's being incredibly reactive, not being proactive in terms of taking economic measures, which means industries are pushing themselves to the very limits in terms of what they're prepared to do to make things go ahead. Um, so, yeah, that's all a bit miserable, isn't it? Well, it, 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 unfortunately, yes, and, and hard to be otherwise. Uh, hard as well to escape the sensation that whatever we say right now may well be out of date in uh, sort of... Oh, yeah, but that's every podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> but apologies, listener, if you're um, chuckling at the halcyon days of Thursday morning when we still thought some football might go ahead. Uh, armed with the knowledge you now have. Anyway, uh, also significant questions being raised about AFCON the Africa Cup of Nations, not just because of the coronavirus uh, situation in Africa, but also the the internal uh, strife going on in Cameroon anyway. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm happy to reveal that, that that report about, you know, this the story in the French media about it, it, impending cancellation came about 45 minutes after I'd booked flights for the last 10 days of that tournament. So that's... Oh. I'd say typical, but I guess that's just what you have to deal with at the moment. But yeah, that stung a little bit. Mm, right. Well, uh, five games have been played uh, Tuesday and Wednesday in the Premier League. What happened in those? Tuesday, Aston Villa beat the Smiths, Delia and former manager Dean, 2-0 at Carroll Road. Man City left us with that brooding image of a bruised and bewildered Bielsa on his upturned bucket after a 7-0 beating. At the Etihad. Wednesday, Saints James Ward prowls their way to the lead at Crystal Palace, then got Jordan Ayoub back to 2 2. And it was 1 0 for Wolves away at Brighton, who had players missing, especially some of the ones 
who played. Uh, Arsenal beat West Ham 2-0, meanwhile, to go above the Hammers into the top four. Brentford, Man United and Burnley-Watford were both postponed Thursday night. Hopefully, we'll see Liverpool against Newcastle, Chelsea against Everton and Leicester Spurs. As Daniel was mentioning, both Leicester and Spurs have asked or had asked the Premier League for a postponement to that game, but received a denial for that. Uh, Very good of the games which took place. I think we probably need to start with uh, Man City Leeds. Um, A savage, savage performance. Bielsa's worst encounter with Pep since the time he turned up at his place to talk about coaching and didn't leave for 11 hours, would you say? Yeah, it had that sort of marathon feel to it. Um, Look, Leeds have a a huge amount of injuries. That's obvious and that's been the case all season. But because it's been the case all season, I think we probably have to reason that it's not going to go away anytime soon and the the crucial difference between this season and last is not necessarily the availability of the players it's that when Leeds lost last season it was done with this kind of um, you know air of carelessness and swagger and fun to it you know we don't mind because we'll probably win 4-3 next week the reality this season is and you get this sense from Leeds fans too is that the fun has kind of been stripped out of it now um, that it isn't that it isn't that enjoyable to go away from home and lose seven nil and even get the basics wrong and not be able to pass out of defence and not be able to you know locate Dan James because he's playing up front and he's not a striker and I think in three of the last four games Bielsa has either said I got it completely wrong we didn't do anything right or this isn't working and I think before that he'd said the club aren't getting money out of me at the moment they're not getting value for money out of me at the moment out of my contract so mm. he does feel a little bit dispirited by this whole thing um and fun is a lot easier to establish in your football than it is to get back put it that way it's it's kind of hard to see Bielsa changing or or kind of compromising on his on his dogmas but it's also kind of hard to see how this gets better because unless the return of Patrick Bamford suddenly makes them into a a better defensive team, which I don't think it does. Uh, I don't really see where the improvements are without serious January investment. Mm. Well, Bielsa certainly looked like a man who was considering his options ominously in his post-game comments. You always get that dramatic pause when every phrase is, is translated. But, but still, Man City, though, uh, Leeds have issues, but I think anyone would do against a team playing at that level it was was it the the best you've seen them for a while yeah i think they were they were brilliant and amazing to see kevin de bruyne back and reaching those levels that we know he can play at and mares as well i think that's the best he's played for city in a very long time it was it was an absolute clinic and it was one of those games where the harder leeds tried the worse it got and there's very few occasions i think where you see that in football but they, when they tried to close City players down or tried to, to press the ball, it just created even more space for City to work with. And they were just feasting on it. They were feasting on every opportunity, every inch of space on that pitch. And then even when they didn't have space, they had players who were like De Bruyne who were just smashing it in from 25, 30 yards like that. I mean, it was a, a brilliant performance. And Pepper's full of cliches and superlatives. And he said after the game, he thinks it's the best they've ever played in in the last few games have been the best that City have ever played in, in his time there. But you have to kind of agree with him uh, uh, because there's a consistency across the whole pitch, which I think he, he hasn't always had, maybe he had in the, in the early parts of time there, but over the last couple of years, they've staggered it at points, but they certainly look really, really sharp at the moment. Mm. 
with a resurgent Kevin De Bruyne, as you say, coming back in. A couple of goals there. Grealish scoring with a header. Uh, Foden, Riyad Mahrez, Stones and Aki also getting on the score sheet. They had 11 more shots in that game, Man City did, than Spurs had in the, in, in the entire month of September, which is a remarkable wow. statistic. Le- Leeds are... Um, it's hard to tell, isn't it, with Leeds? Is it just a case of, what, like three and a half years with Bielsa now natural wearing off that you know you have when you've had a you know an intense manager over a period of time combined with those injuries um I think even at the start of the season when they had players fit or more fit than they are now they were still they weren't quite what they were last season um they weren't they weren't doing it on the ball in the way that they were previously they weren't creating as many chances um it's a bit of a shame and it's also the thing is I mean say you know if it were if it was to get worse over the next six weeks or so, and I don't know, you get to February and the leads are eighteenth, nineteenth, um, which is unlikely because it requires one of those teams in the drop zone to win a game. Um, but if they were to get to that stage, you do start to think: if I've got three months left in the season and I want to stay in the Premier League, is Bielsa the best person for that at that point? But equally. I wouldn't want to be a coach going in with three months to go, trying to unteach everything Bielsa's taught for three years um, to this group of players. So I think they, they may get to a point where they have a really difficult decision to make because Leeds, you know, when you look at, you know, they've got a takeover that's kind of pending at some point in the next 18 months with the San Francisco 49ers as well. They have to be in the Premier League. And at some point they will have to drop you know, the romanticism of this Bielsa reign in favour of just guaranteeing a stay in the Premier League. So hopefully he can get it right. You know, look, I mean, he lost a game to Manchester City and Chelsea. It's not a disaster from that point of view. But, you know, I think Leeds fans are concerned at the moment, and rightly mm. so. Also, such a shame they didn't get Conor Gallagher in the summer, as they were meant to. What happened there, Adam? So he was meant to, well, for a long time, it looked as though he was going to Leeds and then Crystal Palace came in quite late and he decided he preferred to stay in London. Um, so you know when you just look at the midfield problems Leeds have had it would have been a huge boost for them to have Gallagher in the squad and you imagine he would have fit quite well into Bielsa's style as well Mm. For the moment Leeds five points above uh, the bottom three although all the teams below them have games in hand a couple of them have two games in hand on Bielsa's side Man City seven Premier League wins in a row they're still behind Liverpool's goal difference incidentally even with that 7-0 Two goals behind that, and Liverpool are or probably about to play Newcastle on a Thursday evening. But City clearly taking a bit of a lead in the Premier League title race there. Leeds with their joint biggest defeat ever. I believe that's right. Is that right, Daniel Story? That is yep. right, yeah. They had an 8-1, which I think technically you count as a bigger defeat than a 7-0. But right. yes, joint record margin of defeat. And also Marcelo Bielsa's heaviest ever defeat as a club manager. And it, whatever Leeds might be thinking about the future, it did look, as I say, as though the thought might be crossing his mind as well. Flo? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because, like Adam said, I do think Leeds will scrape through and survive this season. So I think it would make more sense for them to let Bielsa naturally depart at the end of the season, give a new coach a full pre-season to do what they want to do if that's also going to be something where they need to dramatically change the style. Because if they were to get rid of Bielsa now, anytime soon, or if he were to leave now, 
I think it would be very old school leads and leads are not trying to be old school leads. They're trying to be smarter than that. They want to be a smarter, shrewder, established Premier League club. And you look around and I don't think there'd be many options. And the, the coaches, like Adam said, they would want to take that job. I just think it's not it's not the right thing to do. So I think they're going to cling on, scrape through because of the, the, the lack of um, any kind of uh, rescue mission from most of the clubs around them. And they'll be okay but next summer will be a bit of a rebuild. It's, it's also really hard to know how good Leeds are without Marcello Bielsa be there because by his very nature of how he manages, he becomes that club and he becomes the players and they are Bielsa players as much as they are Leeds players. And I mean, if you look at that 11 that played City, it's 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 not great. I mean, I, I'd, I'd rather have... Almost every other Premier League one to eleven than the one that started for Leeds the other night in the positions they were playing in, and it's very hard, therefore, to know is this a manager kind of falling away from what he was good at, and therefore the players are suffering, or is this merely a manager who's just stopped overperforming, and therefore the players are just not quite good enough for the position they're in? Hmm. We we seem to be kind of hinting at this being the the end game for Bielsert at, at Ellen Road. Is that? Is that a widespread feeling, or are we just kind of reacting to a particularly heavy loss? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any sense that like you know Bielsa's on the brink or anything like that. I think it's more just a case. Yeah, Leeds have to work really, really hard each summer to get him to do another year. Each time, you always get to the start of the season, you're never quite sure he's even signed a new contract to stay at the club for another year. It just sort of rumbles on, and they 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 really do bend over backwards in terms of. You know, recruiting players specifically that he's happy with, and you know, as it should be, but also things at the training ground. You know, he's hard work to manage, um, and for a long time it's been worth it. But you know, you, you might get to a stage at the end of this season where you think, well, you know, it's all a bit stressful, and are we getting back? You know, what we're putting in in in, in that sense still, and and I think that'll probably be a natural endpoint at the end of this season. Um, you know, it's not like he's on a long term contract or anything like that you know he's hard work upwards and downwards I think for players and also for executives and, and that's a lot of his charm as well that's a lot of what's what that's what's made him so successful but it wouldn't surprise me at all you know end of the season Lee's say you know you know you've kept us in the Premier League for two years you've given us a fantastic foundation going forwards the club can be taken over we can bring in a new manager with, a, with his own vision give him more backing this summer probably have to sell one of Rafinha, Phillips or Melier in the summer as well and, and rebuild again to a certain extent. But I think if they get to that point, then they've done fantastic. And the other thing is, you know, also before this last couple of games, they've actually been on a, they haven't lost that many games over the last nine or ten. And also, I think they're on around 18 points. And when you look at the bottom three clubs, OK, Newcastle could spend a bit of money in January. I think if Leeds win five more games this season, they'll stay up. That'll take them to 33, a couple of draws. I think they'll be fine. Like, you're not asking him here to go and win, you know, five of the next seven. I think I think they'll probably be just about all right. All right. Man City, meanwhile, next up will be uh, facing Newcastle, or at least they're due to be on Sunday, uh, which will be interesting if they're in that kind of form against that Newcastle. As for Leeds, next up they've got Arsenal at home this weekend, which... Certainly the cases of Everton and Man United has, has been a very effective way of ending a bad run of results, entertaining the Gunners. <laughs> this midweek, though, uh, Arsenal showed signs of not being that team anymore. They did that thing where they suddenly looked like something real is building at the Emirates with a 2-0 victory over West Ham. 
Yeah, and it's it's not that usual for Arsenal. Normally, when when a crisis or an off-field crisis happens at Arsenal, it becomes very obvious on the pitch very quickly. So the one thing they did do in midweek is made everyone instantly forget that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wasn't on the pitch. Now, that's probably partly because he hasn't played particularly well recently and certainly hasn't scored many goals, although they did a nice tribute to him by missing a penalty. Um, but they, yeah, they, they, it, it, they looked good again. They made West Ham look very ordinary, which it should be said a couple of teams have done recently. They look a little bit goosed, I think, under Moyes now. I think maybe that European stuff is kind of giving them a bit of a headache. But yeah, it just looked really, really fluent. And, and Arsenal didn't kill off the game in the first half, which they should have, but then did in the second. They didn't get punished. They didn't slump back like they did against Everton. So, yeah, we're in that Arsenal are good again situation, mm, I'm afraid. You're falling for it again. They're fourth. For the first time this season, they've got positive goal difference. Yeah, first time in the top four um, after a game week since October 2020, which is, you know, that's always the yardstick by which Arsenal managers after Wenger have been judged. So th- that is, of course, a positive thing. Mm. Although it is after a game week which saw Spurs and Man United not be able to fulfil their fixtures. I mean, this is the understatement of, of the lifetime, but what must be really frustrating for Arsenal fans is that the lack of consistency just makes them so hard to read for anyone. I think when, when they put on performances like this, you think, oh, OK, you know, they're, they're going somewhere. They're, there's, a, there's something to build on here. And then you see a performance like... Everton and and the Manchester United games. So you're like, what what are you doing? The, the the last couple of weeks in the lead up to this fixture, there was a real sort of score early and sit back mentality, and you didn't see that at all last night. I mean, they were relentless in the way they they played, but also like Daniel said, West Ham were really off. They looked so leggy and exhausted. Dawson looked like he turned up at a five aside game after having five pints. He just looked like an old man like it was just it was it was really strange to kind of see such a difference like that when actually going into it I think Arsenal would have been prepared for a much tougher challenge but then it just going forward you just never know what Arsenal are going to do off the back of a performance like this because you never know if it's them playing well or the other team just playing really badly. Mm. Or a bit of Anthony Taylor thrown in there as well although uh, credit to David Moyes who was very measured in defeat uh, refusing to cite the refereeing decisions as the reason, the motive for all that. He has had some practice, of course, in, in, in reacting to losses against Arsenal. He's not won in 18 away trips to the Gunners, which is a Premier League record. Remarkable. Just on the subject of David Moyes and his comments, the West Ham manager also this week weighing in on the subject of players getting vaccinated. And whereas Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool... Uh, was keen to underline how everyone at the training ground is at least double vaccinated and will get the booster as soon as possible. David Moyes seemed to indicate that he felt it was very much a, a matter for the individual. He even went, uh, went as far as to tie it in with you know the battle for diversity, which I thought was a, a, quite a reach. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, a nonsensical move. Um, there is a, a huge difference between diversity and choice which is what David Moyes is talking about um, and I mean he, he's right in that individuals have a choice I can see if you're at a club where players are reluctant to get the vaccine then having your manager publicly say I think all players should be vaccined might be seen as a bit of a you know man management misstep but there are ways of expressing those opinions and he picked a, a particularly poor one I think it's fair to say. So Jurgen Klopp who, who has said that 
presumably mm. the same kind of rates of vaccination are present or were present at Liverpool. What are there's about 65, 67% of players, I think is the estimate, are vaccinated? I think there is a, a quite a range between Premier League clubs and I think Liverpool are one of the clubs who, who as Klopp says, have a, a higher rate of vaccination and I don't know whether this is led from the manager down whereby the manager says, you know, we want players to get vaccinated and they do or whether the manager is merely reflecting what has happened at the club anyway. So I wanted players to get vaccinated and they have. Um, but no, there are there are different rates across the Premier League and the way David Moyes is talking makes makes us assume that West Ham are, are not at the higher end of that. Certainly Liverpool, I think, were pretty much, as Klopp said, 100% vaccinated. Um, I think Leeds and Wolves are also pretty high, um, as, as far as I know. I think, um, from what I recall, I think the Wolves owners, actually, because of what was happening in China very early on, they made sort of very early moves to present to the players, you know, this is the situation, this is how serious it's going to be. And, and, they were, and, and the players got on board very, very quickly. Um, I think Leeds, again, I think, you know, there, there is probably a little bit of a parallel in terms of, you know, those coaches who really command the, the confidence of their players. And I think that's probably what happened at Leeds to a certain extent as well at Liverpool. Um, not going to speculate about which clubs might have been lower. Um, but but yeah, in terms of Moise's comments, I mean, diversity is who you are and vaccine is kind of what you do. Um, and that's that's the difference, isn't it? Um, there. I mean, interestingly, he did actually say last week, I think he said that, he, you know, he wouldn't want to sit next to someone who's not been um, vaccinated, I think. So good way of getting yourself off the bench then. Just yeah. <laughs> make sure you're on the pitch at all times. Ideal. Yeah. Um, so a little bit inconsistent, uh, David Moyes. I, I think what he was probably trying to say to be fair to him is you know he probably just didn't want to demonize any players who may be in his squad who have not been vaccinated yet and probably feels that belittling them or mocking them or telling them off is less successful than I suppose persuasion and education and has probably just worded it a little bit clumsily um, but I can also understand why people didn't particularly like what he said as well and football has been I think a bit too polite over this at times along the way and you know we are now at a point I think the latest figures which were actually released by the Premier League were the middle of October when I think it was 81% had had a first jab 68% had been double jabbed and at that point that was reasonably in line I think with the general population by then um, and you would think that that second jab figure would have got higher given the time that's that's gone but if you do still have I don't know and we don't know this because the Premier League won't release it if you do have 10-15% who haven't even had a first jab yet and mm. um, we're now at a point where people are on three jabs and who knows in a few months probably elderly people will be on four by the time you know in a few months time so uh, that, that and then, is a problem uh, and also in in that case as well Adam like sometimes that isn't even enough to stop someone even getting the virus so yeah, let yeah, alone yeah. if you haven't had anything right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. One would hope that the, uh, the, the the sad case of Joshua Kimmich might inspire one or two more players to to get vaccinated after he didn't get vaccinated, got COVID and then suffered damage to his lungs, which is certainly going to mean that he won't see football again until uh, the start of the new year or possibly longer. Anyway, all very grave. Flo, meanwhile, on Wednesday night as well, Arsenal uh, had a Champions League match with Hoffenheim, Women's Champions League. They needed to avoid losing by five goals to reach the last eight and they did. Yeah, by the skin of their teeth. Um, it was a strange game. 
they conceded, I think it was three goals in the space of like five minutes. Um, it's been a pretty dreadful sort of week and a half for them. They lost the FA Cup final to Chelsea, didn't really turn up in that game. Lost to Barcelona at home in the Champions League. They were probably not expected to win that game, but it was at the Emirates. It was, you know, a big occasion and they sort of fell apart after conceding a goal they caused themselves in the first 20 minutes. Um, and then they did win it the weekend, but then they come back uh, into Champions League action with a really good chance of of getting through. And even though they did in the end, I think a lot of fans and and especially the manager, Jonas Edvall, were not impressed with the manner in which they scraped through mm. to the quarterfinals. That is now 14 quarterfinals of the Champions League that they've made, which is a record. It's still very impressive, but I don't think many people would be um, looking at that result and thinking they've got a good chance at, at progressing very far in the competition. I mean, they were patched together a little bit. Leah Williamson's out long-term and uh, they had a left-back playing at centre-back and a, a centre-back slash defence midfielder playing at right-back. But really, they are better than Hoffenheim and, and should have won that game, but they completely fell apart. And similarly, Chelsea playing Thursday night against Wolfsburg, they've got to get a result in order to get through. It's a bit of a straight shootout between Wolfsburg and Chelsea, really, to see who gets that qualification spot. 4-1 Hoffenheim's win against Arsenal women uh, midweek. We'll touch on more of the kind of mid-season situation on in WSL a little bit later on. Uh, Arsenal will be facing Brighton this Sunday, fingers crossed, and all that. Next up, though, let's talk a little bit about Sergio Aguero. Hello, it's me again, Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. I hope you're well. Uh, what does Leeds Arsenal mean to you, listeners? Uh, for me, it will always be a late Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank diving header that was a thumbtack in the balloon that was Arsenal's title ambitions that season. That's all the way back in the year of May 1999. Alex Ferguson had snarled a few weeks previously that he hoped United weren't the only team that Leeds would try against. Hashtag mind games. Fast forward with gusto on your magic carpet listeners to the present day. It's been a trying week for the Arsenal, on and off the park. But they got a big three points on Wednesday night after a home win against West Ham. And that sees them move into the top four. Alexandre Lacazette, who was the 6-4 joint favourite to get the vacant skipper's armband, led them out. Hats off to the Paddy Power traders. Arteta, meanwhile, would have enjoyed that result immensely after he had to strip Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang of the captaincy for ill-discipline. The Gabon striker looking about as committed to the cause of late as Marcello Bielsa is to English lessons. In terms of the betting listeners, needs are priced at 21-10, to 10, the draw is 13-5 to 5, and the Arsenal win is 11-10. to 10. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or indeed the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. And remember, take time to think. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. But no pasa nada. Así que es el trabajo. Eh, pero nada, agradecerle a todos por estar acá, a, a todos los hinchas de todos los clubes que he jugado y, y nada, la verdad que, que me quedo con, con cosas muy bonitas en este último tiempo. Así que gracias. An explosion of Sergio Aguero love this midweek after the player announced his retirement from football in Barcelona. Uh, this Wednesday, he's 33 years of age, Aguero 
decision taken on medical advice after she was diagnosed with cardiac arrhythmia. But uh, poignant stuff. And there's been, I mean, there's been so many stats, some incredible stats about him, some lovely things said, including by Pep Guardiola. And I think as well, one of the reasons perhaps there's been so many emotional tributes to him is that he was almost so reserved while he was in the Premier League that great as we thought he was, we didn't quite appreciate how enormous a figure he's been in the in, in English football. Yeah, I mean, the the stat I like the most, it was Adam Bate at Sky Sports tweeted out yesterday saying that since his Premier League debut, he's in the top 10 for left-footed goals, the top six for headed goals and second from goals outside the box, which, as he says, none of which we saw as Aguero's forte. I mean, it's a phenomenal record. There's no doubt that, that some of the, the love he would have got was slightly diluted by the fact he played for the, for the richest club in the world at the time. Mm. That's obvious. Um, but he was also the game changer for that club, maybe even as much as, as company for his leadership and, and silver for his creativity because yeah, he comes in and, and they immediately win the title. And he, 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 he obviously you know, he scores the most famous goal in Premier League history, no doubt. But for me, the, the most incredible thing was just how he managed to cope with the injuries. That was the most incredible thing about Alan Shearer for me and the most incredible thing about Aguero. Constant niggling injuries and yet able to kind of reinvent himself and cope with the Guardiola demands and still come out of it at the other end. A mm. couple of other stats for you. He scored 12 Premier League hat-tricks for context. That's as many as... Cristiano Ronaldo, Eric Cantona, Dennis Bergkamp, Daniel Sturridge, Jürgen Klinsmann, Gianluca Vialli, Luis Saha, Gareth Bale, Diego Costa, Samuel Eto'o, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Olivier Giroud combined. All those players put together. That's insane. Equally, Aguero could go on for another 2,100 minutes playing Premier League football without scoring a single goal and he would still have the best minutes per goal ratio in Premier League history. How is that possible? Didn't, didn't he also go like 10 months, was it like last season going into the back end of the previous one without actually scoring in the Premier League during his final year? Um, yeah, and in, he had, in injury. He had well. injury issues, you know, across his whole career at City where he mm. was out for, you know, a couple of months at a time. I mean, Although if he'd that actually wouldn't affect been able his to, minutes per goal, Richard. Oh, but in terms of consistency. In terms of stats, yeah. I yeah. mean, what, what more, could, like he could have, his records could have been even crazier if he'd been able yeah. to stay fit for a lot of that, that time. Danny, you were saying we don't think of headed or left-footed goals or anything as being the Aguero strength. What what do you think of as Aguero's strength? Well, I think in that mould of Argentinian striker, you generally get a player who wants to be involved all the time. Um, I think that comes naturally when you are a country that obsesses about its number 10 so much as that kind of creative force. And I think there were elements of that with Aguero. I think the thing he had to learn under Pep Guardiola was, you know, Guardiola said it himself, was a kind of patience to not need to be involved all the time, but be the one to, to end the moves rather than, you know, dropping back into midfield to pick up the ball and driving at players. So I, mm. I think his ability to cope with Guardiola's demands, it's easy to forget now that when Guardiola came, quite a lot of people thought, well, this is the end of Sergio Aguero. Guardiola will want his own type. Um but he, I mean, he really was a, a complete all-rounder. You know, look at that debut against at Swansea and he scores from outside the box. He scores the poacher's goal. He, he manages to create something with a ridiculous piece of skill to keep the ball in. Um, it's just a complete, genuinely the complete package, I think. Um, and the, the thing that was so surprising at the time was just how much he looked suited for English football, despite being raised on a different continent and developed in a different 
you know, football culture. He just looked absolutely ready-made for the Premier League. Mm. I think he's probably what one of four. When I think of just City of the past decade, he's one of four players that you just think completely defines them. It was like Company, Torre, David Silva, and Aguero was just that spine that really just carried carried them for sort of four or five years. And it, I was trying to think, I can't really think of a player that I would directly compare him to. Um, I think maybe Wayne Rooney, but Rooney probably a little bit more selfless in terms of the positions that he played. But then maybe if, I don't know, if Aguero had done three years at Man United when Cristiano Ronaldo was there, maybe he'd have done the sort of stuff that Wayne Rooney had to do. And maybe if Guardiola had Rooney, he'd have become that, you know, that real sort of penalty box striker um, as well. So I think maybe that's the the, the closest, I, I think, hmm. uh, in terms of comparison. The, there will, we should say there will be regrets to that career. You know, the, the way... Champions, Champions League. Absolutely, well, yeah. yeah. It's interesting to see Guardiola turning up at, at his goodbye and, and yeah. with that Just lovely... Just to put him on the bench, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lovely comment about him being in the trinity of Argentine greats. Maradona conquered Italy, Messi did it in Spain, Aguero is the, the Premier League's equivalent. But as you say, the man who pretty much sidelined him for much of the last two seasons and certainly for one of Man City's biggest games ever, the Champions League final. Yeah, and, and not just in 2021, you know, in, in you know, he misses the penalty against Tottenham in the first leg that sees him go out. He doesn't play either of the games against Liverpool when they go out. He misses the game against Lyon when they go out because he's injured. You know, it was year after year, he it kind of felt like that was his, you know, that was his final moment to kind of create that legacy at City, which he clearly will anyway. He scored 83 goals more than anyone else in City's history. So that's undoubted, but he just, uh, he will be cursing being left on the bench against Chelsea, of course. Mm. We may not have seen the last of Aguero in a Man City shirt because Benjamin Aguero, he of the extraordinary footballing DNA, is (laughs) in the uh, Man City youth setup. He's currently 12 years of age, so not long to wait, people. Uh, very good. Next up, let's talk about uh, some of the other games which took place this midweek. Hey, why is it called Boxing Day? Nine Premier League games on. It should be called Football Day. Yeah, that old leftover turkey sandwich day. What? You definitely ate more than nine of them last year. Yeah. It's a feast for football fans on December the 26th, and Paddy Power's got a knockout offer just for Boxing Day. It's a completely free £5 bet builder to use on any of the nine Premier League matches on Boxing Day. Paddy Power! Pretty much online bet, but a bet only. Min two plus legs. Max one free five pound bet per customer. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus be This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Tuesday, Aston Villa won 2-0 at Norwich. What a goal by England under-21, Jacob Ramsey. It's one of those goals that it is a really, really good goal, but at some point you have to ask Norwich City defenders when they were going to try and stop Jacob Ramsey, if they weren't going to do it when he he got eight yards from their own goal, having run from his own half. Because I, I understand the need to you back off, back off, back off, and therefore you, you find you've got three players to crowd someone out. But if you then can't make the tackle, it just looks like sacrifice. Um, so it was a brilliant goal, but 
Norwich need to be very careful not to fall back into the trap of um, kind of being swatted away by teams against whom that Dean Smith will figure they have to get points off if they're going to stay up. Right, after that initial 2-1 victory for Dean Smith over Saints, they had a couple of draws against Wolves and Newcastle and then three straight defeats. By contrast, Stephen Gerrard is now on four wins from six, now taking more points in those six games under Stephen than they did in 11 games under Dean Smith, so they're looking all right. Tuesday night was especially difficult for Norwich because they've got massive injury issues and, and players having to isolate, players testing positive. But at the same time, lots of other teams are going through the same thing. So lots of teams are struggling right now to put bodies on the pitch. And I think Dean Smith's going to need to try and be savvy with his recruitment in January to try and get the right sort of players in because I think there were some positives to take from a lot of those performances and the manner in which they were still losing games. But a defeat like they had on Tuesday night just kind of takes you back to square one when it comes to morale and and performance level. So if he's going to continue to struggle with, with injuries and, and COVID within the camp, I think it's going to be really hard for them to, to take anything. And they've actually got a decent run, a decent fixture list over Christmas to, to pick up points. So this is going to be a, a really important time for them. Although this weekend looks quite tough. They're going to be away or they're scheduled to be away at West Ham while Aston Villa may be hosting Burnley. Wednesday, Crystal Palace had a 2-2 draw with Saints. What a goal by James Ward-Prowse. The sound, the sound as it hit the sort of the, right in the corner of the net was beautiful. Um, he's so good, isn't he, at those free kicks. I'm never quite sure how good he is as a general player. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's sort of worth it for those sort of five or six moments a season and also his general set pieces. Um, I think that's the most generic thing it's possible to say about James Ward-Prowse, really, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, that that's very much his USP. Were this to be another yeah. sport, he would be brought on for the the place kick. and then. But it was so magnificent, the trajectory, the way it... Mm. Much like, you know those people in squirrel suits who kind of fly down a Swiss valley about six inches off the, <laughs> off the terrain? That's how it made its way over, yeah. the, over the wall and then into the... Uh, just in, inside the post, r- remarkable stuff. He does seem to have managed to marry together the kind of whip and curl of Beckham uh, mm. with the, the power of um, other free kick takers. I mean, I know he is, he's catching Beckham. I think he's fourth now, we say, in terms of all-time free kick goals. But it's his corners as well. That's where Southampton score most of their goals from his set pieces. And yeah, I genuinely think he's in the top three free kick takers in the Premier League era because of how he manages to get this power and curl that I can't remember many other players being able to do. Mm. One of the most remarkable things about this goal was the fact that he beat Jack Butland with it. I had no idea Jack Butland was at Palace. Were you aware of that? Yeah, I was, but it's not gone that well for him. I mean, he should be happy because he's playing in the Championship not that long ago. So Right. I think what's more, what's probably more shocking is that Jack Butland's only 28 years old, which I think I, I thought he was well into his mid-30s. Uh, the other goals in this game, Wolf Zaha gave Palace the early lead... And then you had the free kick. Then you had Armando Breuer uh, with his fourth goal in six Premier League starts, which is pretty impressive, before Palace equalised through Jordan Ayew. Uh, what a goal by James Ward-Price. What a goal by Ramsey. What a goal by Wolves. Yes, it's true. They scored for the first time in over a month in their game at the Amex. This was also on Wednesday night. Roman Seiss 
doing the scoring. He is actually Wolves' third top scorer since the start of last season, which is wow. remarkable. It's a great goal. The, uh, the little chip by Ruben Neves, who has been mm. sensational the past four or five weeks or so. He was really good against Man City the other week, even though, um, was it the other week, the other day, um, when they lost there. But Brighton are weird, aren't they? Um, <laughs> if we're doing generic comments about, um, about teams and players. But like, I mean, was it tw- t- 11 games without a win now? Yeah. In the Premier League without a win since September the 19th? No wonder they're booing him off. Yeah, they would point to the incredible number of injuries they had. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And it it does feel like it's the narrative with every team that's playing badly, but it kind of is. Injuries, if you lose a player like Neil Mopai, who is essentially your main goal scorer, got some really important goals from this season, you're kind of screwed. Um, And they're probably a side that will look to... Get get some players in in January, but yeah, you it, it's it's really tough for any side like that to to be hit with injuries because I mean they're draw specialists already, and then you know make things worse for yourself when that happens. Yeah, I was going to say that they just draw too many games. Only Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester City have lost fewer Premier League games this season than Brighton, um, but they just don't have a striker. I can't, I can't, and no Brighton fan can fathom why they didn't try and sign a striker over the summer because it was so obviously their problem last season mm. and it's so obviously still their problem this season. Mm. A couple of contenders from the players who were on the field for miss of the season in this game. One certainly from Enoch and Wepu. I'm not sure if the late one was as well, but uh, but yeah, they, they had their chances in this game. Very good. Uh, Burnley, Watford, Brentford, Man United were postponed from the midweek games. There are three fixtures due to be held on Thursday night. In a second or two, we'll touch on what may be happening this weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, an association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is good news for Watford fans as they get ready to appoint their third manager of the season. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet, minimum four plus legs, maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply, and please gamble responsibly. 16th of December, everybody. On this day, 122 years ago, AC Milan were founded. Uh, as the Milan Football and Cricket Club by uh, Englishman Alfred Edwards and Herbert Kilpin. Yeah, Herbert Kilpin of Nottingham, and there's a pub called the the Kilpin Beer Cafe in Nottingham. Um, Nice. He was born on Mansfield Road in Nottingham. There you go. There's a really good book, actually, called uh, and film called The Lord of Milan, about his life and the formation of of Milan. What, What happened to the cricket club? 
Do you know what? That's a very good question, Adam. <laughs> Maybe it still exists. Maybe it's it just It probably a side does, thing. and that would make a terrific athletic article. To, yeah. You know, I'll get, get Horncastle on the case. Yeah. Is it Genoa? With Genoa, the, the cricket Genoa with the Athletic and Cricket Club, or Cricket right. and Athletic Club. Um, yeah, interesting. 101 years on, former Milan player gave a little bit of sporting history back to England on this day in the year 2000 when Paolo Di Canio caught the ball instead of trying to score when Everson goalkeeper Paul Gerrard had collapsed. Di Canio, sportingly, almost unbelievably catches the ball there. What nerve does that take? How many players would have headed that goalwards? Everton playing West Ham at Goodison Park. Dikani won a FIFA Fair Play award. Are we allowed uh, to call that a, a kind of desperate karmic reach from Dicanio? Um to absolve himself of other personality right. flaws? Right. Uh, I mean, you can call it what you want. I don't yeah. think he'll be listening anyway, Daniel. No, fine. Mm. A complex character. But that was one of the better bits. Yeah. It's a wonderful uh, euphemism. David Moyes says we're all about diversity, so um, we'll let it, let it <laughs> there pass. There you go. Right. Uh, this weekend, returning to the year 2021, currently scheduled all sorts of matches this weekend. It's, it does feel a little bit weird essaying any kind of preview on them as if it was a normal weekend because it clearly isn't. We don't know which games are going to take place. We hope all of them as long as that's okay with everybody. We should say the three that are most likely to be off are, are Manchester United's game against Brighton, uh, Watford's game against Palace, right, and and Brentford-Southampton. They're right. the three, cl- three clubs that have got the biggest issues. Which is, I mean, Watford-Palace is one that I was really looking forward to. It's the latest chapter in the, the rivalry between Wilfred Zaha and Harry the Hornet, <laughs> uh, which is back in 2016... The, the Watford mascot mimics Zaha by diving at Vicarage Road. Roy Hodgson calling it disgraceful, but then <laughs> Palace retaliated. Last time they met in the Premier League, this was March 2020, Harry the Hornet accused Palace of compromising his safety, doxing him effectively by showing him without without his mask on on the big screen at Selhurst Park, which just feels wrong to me and beyond personal safety. You know, the, the Hornet is the Hornet. You can't show that it's a man in a in a but- suit. I think uh, when writing, most of us are always kind of wary of using melodramatic language that might reduce the impact of it when we need it. But Hodson calling that incident disgraceful is absolutely superb. Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Other fixtures that may or may not be available include Wolves against Chelsea. Wolves actually have a great record against the Blues. They won two of the last three meetings at home, certainly. Everton, due to be facing Leicester, uh, Rafa Benitez, probably among those who might welcome a circuit break. More problems this week, beyond the fact they've had seven defeats in ten. We now learn that Richarlison, there was good reason for him coming off uh, last weekend. He's he's out for a number of weeks after tearing his calf muscle. Andros Townsend has a small fracture in his foot. James Coleman has got bone bruising. And Luca Dean, who was due to be back, has told the club that no, actually he's unavailable through illness. And there's a lot of air quotes going on. Uh, with that comment. So it does seem that his time with the Toffees may be coming to an end. See, he out with a bruised ego. Mm, Very possibly. Leeds taking on Arsenal, which we mentioned before. Villa against Burnley. West Ham, Norwich and Saints, Brentford. Huh. Possibly the safest course of action is to say that those are the fixtures and we'll discuss what happens or doesn't when uh, Totally Football Show returns on Monday. 
Uh, before that, though, some things uh, to do uh, include flagging up the fact that the Totally Football League show is out today, Thursday, as is the offside rule. And uh, to, you know, on, on that theme, to return flow to the subject of the WSL ahead of the winter break, as, as we head into this pause, Arsenal slowing, losing a bit of momentum, but what, they're four points clear? What's your assessment of, of where we stand? Yeah, Arsenal actually were the only sort of positive from their last 10 days has been the fact that Chelsea lost to Reading at the weekend right. in a really shocked defeat. And that allowed Arsenal to, to open up a bit of a gap that had closed over the last couple of weeks when Arsenal dropped points to Spurs. So they're now four points clear at the, at the top, which is pretty good for them going into this break because actually there's a, there was an opportunity that it, it could have been just a point gap or, or Chelsea could have overtaken them. So... Yeah, that is the only positive for them. It's going to be interesting how Chelsea bounce back from what happened on the weekend. They totally dominated Reading, had 34 shots in that game, over 70% possession, like basically 80% possession. Reading hardly had the ball, were just backs against the wall, scored really early, a really good goal, and then held on to, to get to get the win. And Chelsea looked really tired. Um, they were really struggling in that game. And then they're playing midweek this week in the Champions League. It's a massive game for them. They need to to get something to, to go through. And then they've got West Ham on Sunday, who are a kind of inconsistent, unpredictable side that can cause a lot of problems. Um, and it, you know, it's not an easy one to try and win, to, to take yourself still right behind Arsenal in the winter break. I think for Arsenal, equally, they'll probably be feeling confident they're playing Brighton on Sunday. Um, and Brighton are are a solid team, but they had a bad result against Manchester United at the weekend. But they, they're they in third at the moment and they've kind of taken a lot of people by surprise. So, yeah, I think it's still really a, a two-way shootout between Arsenal and Chelsea for the title. Man City, despite all the chaos, despite a really, really bad season so far, probably still have a really good chance of getting the third Champions League spot. But... Yeah, it's a really weird weekend after Chelsea lost that game to Reading and a bit of a lifeline for Arsenal, to be honest. Flo, Flo what's, what on earth is going on at Leicester, um, who have lost all nine games um, that they've played? I think they've scored three goals this season. And it's like, is there something in particular that can explain it? Because I thought, they, they, I thought their facilities looked quite good and it seemed like they were building sort of a bit of a project there over the last year or so. Yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating one because... At the moment, the two sides that are likely to go down are Birmingham City, who don't give a about their women's team, uh, and the players are kind of openly having to sort of fight with the board for any sort of support or funding. But shockingly, they have a point to their name and nearly beat Man City at the weekend. And then you've got Leicester, who have invested loads in their women's team. They've got brilliant resources. They've got amazing training ground. They've recruited fairly well. They've got some WSL experience as well as keeping a lot of the players that took them up last season. And they just never got going. They just looked really poor. They sat in their manager maybe like three weeks or so ago. A new coach has come in, someone who has been working with England's under-17s. She's pretty new in her kind of coaching journey, which... It's an interesting decision to make because that's more of sort of a long-term future appointment. But really, for the good of the league, I think it's really important that Leicester do stay up because if Birmingham stay up based on everything that's going on and basically, you know, survive at the skin of their teeth despite not giving a shit, 
I don't think it's a great look for the league. And I think you want to be encouraging teams to build good foundations and show that, you know, it's important to to back your women's team and you're going to get rewarded for it. Whereas Leicester haven't haven't been able to show for any of that this yet. But this weekend, Leicester are playing Birmingham and really it's just a straight shootout between them this season on who gets relegated. So if Leicester win that game, it completely flips everything. Only one team goes down. So if Leicester win that game, they've got three points, Birmingham City have got one. Dynamic changes that quickly. So essentially, whoever gets the most points out of those two fixtures that they play is is going to stay up. Um, but yeah, it's just a weird one because a lot of people kind of think, oh, well, Birmingham, really good history in the women's game. You know, they shouldn't go down because that's just a, a sign of, you know, a regression of some a big club. But at the same time, I personally think the clubs that actually want to back and support their women's teams should be the ones that stay up. Flo, I was just wondering, I only saw the, the headline of it, but Charlton Athletic have, have renamed the women's team to Charlton Athletic Ladies, um, which has kind of met with a reaction. I just wondered what was going on there. Yeah, so it's a funny one. Thomas Sangard's a beloved owner at Charlton since he came in and and took the reins from um, Roman de Chatelet, you know, everyone kind of evil villain, like James Bond villain there. But a really weird move from him because he seemed like this Danish million, millionaire, quite cool, plays the guitar, like, you know, quite forward thinking. And then to do this just seems very backwards, especially with a side that he's also back financially. I mean, they went, they turned professional this season and it's the first ever time they've been fully professional because they sort of hit their peak in a bit of a transition between women's football and they had a few professional players, but, you know, they've won the FA Cup. You know, Casey Stoney was their captain. Like, they've got a lot of rich history and they're moving in the right direction. They've got Karen Hills, used to be Spurs coach. They have a good chance at building and progressing into the WSL. So to have this rebrand as, you know, obviously it's only cosmetic, um, but it does just seem a bit weird given what everything else that's going on around the club that's been really positive. As you say, it is a cosmetic thing. Is there a reason why that 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 move has been met with so much criticism, Flo? Yeah, obviously for a lot of people, they'd probably look at that and think, well, what difference does it make? But I do think even small words and, and labels can have a massive impact. And over the last few seasons, we've seen pretty much all women's sides, especially in the top two tiers of the game, change their name to Chelsea women or Arsenal women or whatever it may mm. be. Um, and even though it's a small thing, like it, it does have an impact on perceptions. And um, I think in the women's game, it can be really important. And I think what's almost more bizarre about this is it's like, well, you changed it to women and now you're going back, which right. is even stranger. I can understand if someone, it, it, you know, well, I can't necessarily understand, but it would be maybe more more understandable if someone said, oh, well, we don't want to go from ladies to women. Sure. Has he offered any explanation? I don't think he has. Oh, all right. Very mysterious. Anyway, well, in better news uh, for the women's game, Barclays announcing an extension of their WSL sponsorship. And I believe I'm right in saying, Flo, more than doubling the the amount of money they're, they're going to be funding it with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big deal anyway. I think... There's there's a big figure that's thirty million, which includes all the grassroots funding that Barclays will be providing. When Barclays first signed the deal with the WSL in twenty nineteen, a big part of the partnership with the FA was giving every girl in primary school in England the opportunity to play football, which is a huge task, but they set themselves that target, I think, by twenty twenty four. They wanted every single girl to be given the opportunity to play football in primary school. So that's 
where a lot of the, the, the money and the support comes in. But I think as far as kind of the story that I wrote as well about it, I think what's really key financially when you look at it is that for the sponsorship title rights alone, Barclays are paying around £14 million for for those rights for three years, which is more than double that they paid across the previous three-year cycle. And for women's sport in general, it's always been quite hard for women's sports properties to get decent um, sponsorship rights and TV rights fees. There's been a lot of it is tied up in marketing spend or production spend. It's actually really rare that a, a property would command such a significant rights fee like this. So it was unique three years ago when the FA first signed this deal with Barclays that they even got around six million for it. So then to be able to more than double that this time around and show that the commercial value of the league has risen so much and also it's a really lucrative, attractive brand to attach yourself to. I think it's really important not just for the WSL, but also for other women's sports properties around Europe, around the world. Um, I think we really are starting to see a bit of a shift um, in in a lot of that. Brilliant stuff. All right, Flo. Well, listen, that I think takes us to the end of today's Totally Football Show. We probably better wrap this up before they announce all the fixtures caught off and we have to redo the whole thing. We'll just leave this... <laughs> here preserved in time many thanks adam for being with us today and daniel for stepping in as well lovely stuff producer charlie as ever and you listener we will return on monday and hopefully be discussing all of the weekend's action for now from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the totally football show part of the athletic podcast network listen ad free on the athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.